Well, my friends, good morning. Uh, we're here this, this day to talk about outreach. And outreach is one of our four core values. So at the beginning of this 150th anniversary year, we have a special emphasis all year on celebrating the past and looking forward to the future. And we're emphasizing that with our our 2020 vision of the God-centered gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in us as a church and through us to the world by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That God-centered vision then drives all that we do and is furthered through our four core values, fellowship, learning, outreach, and worship. And each quarter of this 150th anniversary year, we're going to be emphasizing one of those four values. And we're beginning this quarter with an emphasis on outreach. I confess that I find outreach as difficult as most people. But as I've thought about it this week again, it seems to me that we can make it feel too difficult when really it is fairly simple. There are answers to know how to reach out to people. There are ways that we can be equipped to answer questions that people have about the Christian faith. Now, you may be one of those with questions, whether you are new to the Christian things or whether experiences in your life over Christmas have brought up fresh questions. And so I want to begin by emphasizing that in our view, telling people about Jesus must not be manipulative harsh or controlling. Evangelism is not the same as proselytism. Outreach is not the same as a really good sales job. In fact, church history is littered with the impact of people who have attempted to reach out to others in ways that are violent or manipulative, but the New Testament way is very different from that. It is a church-based evangelism, such as Paul describes here in Colossians chapter 4 and verses 2 to 6. Let's stand as we listen to what Paul says. Hear God's word. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. 
pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Do please be seated. So here we are in Wheaton. Wheaton is a city of, what, 50,000? Is that in the ballpark? Roughly? 50,000, okay. Western suburbs of Chicago, how many people in that area? A million or so? More? Roughly? Chicago, what is that, 10 million? Roughly? No one knows. We live in Wheaton, we've got 50,000. We don't know, you know. <laughs> 10 million or so. Wheaton, Chicago. The United States of America. 350 million. The continent of America. The world. Billions and billions of people. You hear the voices and the sounds, the music blurring together as you step back and back. You go past the moon, the sun, Mars, past the Voyager space ships, and back to the edge of the galaxy. And back. And back. Outreach will make no sense at all. I could give us Every good and valid technique in the book for doing outreach. I could tell you all the right things to say in response to all the difficult questions. I could give you really good conversation starters. We could provide you with perfect tools for outreach. All good things. Outreach will make no sense until we go even further back. 
and realize that Jesus is supreme over it all. This passage in Colossians chapter 4 is filled with, I think, some of the most helpful pieces of advice in the Bible for working people trying to figure out how to do outreach in the context of everyday life. But chapter 4 comes after 3 and after 2 and after 1. That is, at the application point of a great big picture. So get your Bibles and look at chapter 1. And verse 15. Here it is in the Pew Bibles. He, that is, who is he? Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? It means, if you want to know what God is like, where do you look? Jesus. Anyone who describes God in a way that does not look like Jesus, as described in the Bible, in the Gospels, is not describing God. That's what that means. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? He tells us, for, this is what it means, for by him all things were created. He is not created, but through him and by him all things were created. That's what that means. For by him all things were created in heaven, that is, the universe, and on earth, visible and invisible, physical and spiritual, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So you think of the most powerful person you can imagine. And Jesus is in charge of it all, further and further back. All things were created through him. Here's the kicker. And for him. If you're feeling at the beginning of this new year that your life has no meaning... It may be God's way of trying to get you to realize again that you are designed not for that or this or the other, 
but for him. The closer you are to realizing that, the closer you will be to meaning. That's the kicker. For him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. In other words, he didn't just start this universe like a ball rolling. He is constantly holding it all together by the power of his word. Puts a whole different perspective on sin, doesn't it? When we sin, we are actually sinning somehow with the very energy, not just that Jesus created, but with the energy that he is upholding. Where does the church fit into this? (laughs) The church is at the heart of his vision. And he is the head of the body. What is the body? Here it is. The church. You want to look for the place where God is investing his dearest and most precious, precious resources. Who did he send his son to die for? The church. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. That is, he died and rose again. The firstborn, because those who believe in him will rise again. No more fear of death. Choir. I've never looked at you when I'm preaching before. It's the first time for everything. People, if you're frightened of death, what you need to do is to look at the resurrection. It's not just his resurrection, if you're a Christian, it's yours. The firstborn from among the dead. Why? So that he's supreme. That in everything, he might be preeminent. Now, do you want to hear about outreach? I heard uh, someone the other day use an illustration from the movie Avatar. Maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't. You've probably heard of it. The movie Avatar is meant to be watched in 3D, of course. And this person used the illustration saying that faith is like putting on the 3D glasses. Now you can see, and there's probably something to that. But when I heard that illustration that I found helpful in some ways, I came back thinking to myself, yeah, I get that. 
faith is like putting on the 3D glasses, so now you can see the, the long tails and the blue figures. I get that. But is that actually right? In other words, is faith getting a an enhanced view of life? Now, of course, the idea in the producer of the movie is that really they were three-dimensional, these beings, and so you're seeing it as it is, but it's all in front of green screens or blue screens or whatever the color is these days, and it's computer-generated, so it's so I understood the illustration, and I think it's true to some extent, but is it really like getting an enhanced view of life? Or is faith actually like seeing things as they really are? So when Jesus healed the blind... And then taught in the context of the Pharisees who were questioning him that believing in him was like seeing. Or when he healed the deaf so that they might hear and then said in other contexts, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That to me seems the other way around. When I believe in Jesus, is that, is that, is believing in Jesus like wearing vision-enhancing glasses? You've come to church this morning, and the show is on, and I don't have a blue tail, and you've been handed vision-enhancing glasses through the beautiful music, and you've been prepared to put them on for a little while, and... And you, then you go out into real life, and it's a little bit depressing, and you know, and then you, you go on a downward spiral until you come back to church and you're given a new excitement. Is that what it's like? Always believing in Jesus, finally seeing at all, seeing clearly 2020 vision. When I live life without the assumption that Jesus is supreme over over everything, am I like an uneducated, backwards, ancient aboriginal who thinks that that hole in the ground in his cave literally goes down to the underworld? Or like a modern, irresponsible industrialist who thinks that polluting the environment with toxic waste like some scene from the nuclear power plant of The Simpsons makes no difference. In other words, am I living out of step with reality if I don't believe in Jesus? Jesus. 
And if I believe in Jesus instead, am I like someone who has come out of a darkened room and stumbled around quite a lot and bumped into a few things and the door opens and I blink? Oh, that's how life is. I've taken the glasses off, the shades off, the blinkers off, the blindness has gone, and now I see. To believe in Jesus is not to wear 3D faith spectacles. To believe in Jesus is not entering a fantasy world, I think. It's leaving the world of fantasy and embracing reality. That doesn't make it worse, it makes it better. I don't know whether you've ever been to the Niagara Falls, you know, the big bit of water that is half in America, half in Canada, right? The Niagara Falls. We have some relatives in Canada, and so we've been through Niagara a number of times. It catches you unawares. <laughs> there you are driving along in your, in, in your car, and you, you sort of drive around. You're thinking, is this ever going to occur? I've heard about these this water, I can't see it, I'm just driving through a town and you drive around and drive around a corner and there it is, somewhat suddenly. That's reality. Untold volumes of water gushing right before you. Sparkling rainbows through the the air because of the water and the light. That's truth. Not computer-generated blue men with long legs and even longer tails. A wild rapids ride through the experience of life. A visit to a sick bed so that you can say sorry And they can say, I forgive you. The risk of relationship where you clutch hands with a loved one. A friendship. I get the point of that illustration and I'm not I'm not coming down against it. I'm just thinking about it with you. In other words, Jesus is supreme whether I believe it or not. Absolutely everything was made by him and For him, that's how to get meaning. He is Lord of all, and before him all will bow. 
whether now by willing, joyful faith that is my prayer for all of us, or in acknowledged admission before the throne of judgment. It is this reality, the truth of the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, that is the why of outreach, without which knowing how makes very little sense. Well, we'll be, uh, we'll be thinking more about uh, the supremacy of Jesus tonight in that uh, evening service when we're thinking about the gospel and Islam. So come back for that and invite friends. But Paul does not say just why, he also says how. So look down with me at chapter 4 of First Colossians and verses 2 to 6. And he actually makes it very easy and very simple. As I said, it's the context of work. Slaves, masters, we apply that to work today usually. And he's not talking about the ministry of an evangelist. He's talking about the ministry of just every Christian, the ministry of a witness. He doesn't give them specially designed techniques to manipulate people to becoming Christians as if you could do that for you cannot for faith is a gift from God and it is not my job to try and force anyone to believe or anyone else's job and even if I could I would not want to for faith is an encounter between God and the human soul and is something that God must do through the witness of Christians through the power of the gospel so we're simply sharing And Paul has two principles. They are these. One, ask God. And then two, answer people. So with this perspective, so you go back and back and back. And the even bigger perspective that if that is large enough, imagine the chasm between God's infinite holiness and our opposite moral state that has been bridged by Jesus. Now do you want to hear? Okay. Ask God, answer people. So he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. A devotion to prayer is hard, of course, And so Paul says, you've got to work at it. You've got to be watchful. Not to stay awake, but you've got to be looking and working. Prayer can seem hard work, and so you've got to be thankful. You've got to begin and have it all the way through with thanks to God. Specifically, he says, we're to pray for opportunities, for an open door. Now, get the character of this witness who writes these words. There he is in prison. And he doesn't ask the Colossians to pray that he would be released. He asks them to pray that the gospel would be released. Wow. So we do that. We ask God devotedly, thankfully, for open doors. And we ask God for those who preach the gospel, like Paul did, like pastors do, like evangelists do. For those who preach the gospel, that they would do it clearly. Paul doesn't ask that they would do it fancily, though 
I guess that's okay. But he asks primarily, and here only, that they would do it clearly, that it will be understood. For with understanding and the spiritual gift of faith, as the seed is sown on the good soil, those who understand the word would believe and there would be bountiful harvest, 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Clarity is the goal. Pray for me that it will be clear, that my mind will be clear, that my words would be clear, that the gospel would be clear. I need that prayer. Pray for that. So that's what we're to pray for. What we're to ask God for. Opportunities, open doors, with thankfulness, watchfulness, praying for those who preach the gospel, that when we invite people to hear the gospel preached by them, the gospel would be clear. It wouldn't be a wasted opportunity. Ask God, but not only to ask God, he doesn't just say that, he also says, answer people. Now here it seems to me, and I've got this from uh, another preacher, an English preacher from years and years ago, this particular insight, and I think it's right. Here it seems to me that Paul is such a relief. It was a preacher called Dick Lucas, if you know of him. Paul is such a relief here. He, he does not tell these hard-working Colossians, the businessmen, the, 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 the cleaners, the, 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 the CEOs, the those who are working, he doesn't tell these hard-working Colossians to initiate opportunities. He doesn't say that's wrong, but here he doesn't tell them to initiate opportunities. He tells them to respond to opportunities. So as this preacher that I once heard explain this passage said then, that they, in Paul's assumption, go to work to work. It's what they're, well, they weren't paid, they were slaves, but it's what we're paid to do. They go to work to work, not to evangelize. So how do, you, how, do you, how do you deal with that then? Well, what you do is you ask God. You pray for opportunities, you ask God, and then when they occur, for God hears such prayers, and they will occur in his timing at the right moment if we're living faithful lives, when they occur... Someone says to you, what do you do over the weekend? Well, I went to church. I heard this really pathetic, terrible sermon, but I still believe in Jesus, you know. When they occur, someone says, why do you keep going to that church? Well, I still believe in Jesus. He says, why do you believe in Jesus? I said, well, let me tell you. When they occur, you make the most of them, making the most of the time, with gracious, seasoned with salt conversation. Uh, in the ancient world, the, the language uh, uh, the, of salt used outside the biblical language was a metaphor sometimes for wit, for humor. Interesting conversation, in other words. So our regular conversation with people is to be salty, to have enough about it that makes people want to find out more about what makes us tick and what we believe but not just salt also graciousness and without graciousness as well we could leave people sort of parched rather than their appetites now primed 
through the salt for the water of life. And so the salt is balanced by graciousness, Paul says. And there's an assumption of background work too. So you ask God for opportunities, then expecting that God will answer at some point, what you've done in the meantime is you've prepared yourself so that you're ready to answer when they come up. How do you do that? You read the Bible, you read good Christian books, you listen to sermons, You get in a discipleship relationship with someone. However old you are, you get regular time with someone over breakfast or lunch or a phone call where you're saying, pray for me, I don't understand this, help me with this, I need to grow in this area. You get prepared so that when they come up, you are, as much as you can be, equipped to answer. Not everyone always has the answers. If you don't, then you say, I'll find out for you. But you prepare so that you do have the answers as much as you can by preparation beforehand. Ask God, answer people. I'm going to conclude uh, basically with a, with a story. and We've got one other thing coming as well, but uh, here's a story. It's a sort of funny story, I guess. An atheist was going for a walk in the woods. There he was, walking down a path. Suddenly, he came across a great big grizzly bear in a clearing. The grizzly bear took one look at the atheist, licked his lips, and lolloped after him. He was hungry. Mmm, atheist. <laughs> So, of course, this poor man began to run, run, ran, running. (laughs) Can't say rin, can you? He ran and ran. Couldn't climb a tree or they were too high up or whatever. Whatever you want to imagine for the purpose of the story. And finally, there was nowhere left to run to, and so... He saw the grizzly bear rise up on his hind legs and it was about to swipe him when at the last moment the atheist cried out, Oh God! Everything froze. A great light shone down from heaven on this poor chap, the atheist. And a voice came from heaven saying something that I think God would not say but it's a part of the story. Why should I do anything for you now, said God from heaven, since you never believed in me? The atheist kind of agreed, nodding his head, but thought fast, and said in reply, at least will you turn the bear into a Christian, please? Everything's frozen, bear's ready to swipe. The light dazzled now and shifted onto the grizzly. (laughs) And then ceased. The grizzly blinked and sort of woke up, looked at the atheist, put his paws together, shut his eyes, 
and began to intone for what we are about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. Sometimes we make outreach too hard. Sometimes we make it too separated from the big picture of what it really means to be a Christian. In other words, if I am living my life in such a way that I am not living with Christ as supreme, well, that's, that's got to take place, hasn't it? Everything is given to Jesus. Why? Because that's where I'm going to find meaning. Because that's who he is. Because that's what I am made for. Because that is reality. That is life. Not little or big blue men wandering around with long tails. The reality of Christ's supremacy. And then with that in place, the how is fairly straightforward. Ask God and answer people. Now I said there's one other thing I want to do this morning. So as a response, what I'd like you, all of us to do is to reach and find uh, the hymnal. And at the back of the hymnal, the, the College Church's hymn book, you'll find a membership covenant. So this is the 150th anniversary of College Church this year. And so what, what are we doing? Well, I set, in a sense, what we're doing is we're doing a covenant renewal time. So in the Bible, you find the covenant of grace through faith that is fulfilled in Jesus And then you find covenant renewals when God's people come together and say, you know, this thing that we say we believe and we really do believe, we want to say to each other and before God that we truly mean it. So what you'll you'll find in the back of the hymnal is the response part. Now, obviously, this is normally said to introduce members into the church, and we're not doing that this morning. I want you to sort of extract it a little from the formal process and look at it as a, as a spiritual commitment to each other and to the Lord Jesus who is supreme and who has the church at the heart of his plan. So there's a charge that comes first. I've got that in front of me and I will read it out. And then there's a response that with this spiritual vision, I want us all to say together. All right, so let's stand. Let me read. Again, remember, it's a, we're looking at this spiritually rather than the formal process in which it is normally and properly used. So a slightly different take of covenant renewal. Charge, Dearly beloved, since you have made public profession of your faith in Christ and have been received by vote of the Council of Elders, 
you do now in the presence of God and of these witnesses acknowledge publicly your covenant of Christian consecration of yourself and all that you have to the service of God. You do covenant with this church to love her and the Lord, to submit to the government and discipline of Christ's church as here administered. And further, you agree to live as a humble Christian in regular attendance upon the services of public worship of this church, to give regularly of your means for support of Christian work, to keep holy the Lord's Day, to maintain private and family prayer, to give diligent heed to the word of God, ever more fully yielding your life to the indwelling Christ, that the fruit of the Spirit may be manifested in you. Let us then say together the response. We do now receive you into communion and fellowship with us in Christ and promise to watch over you with Christian fidelity and tenderness, ever treating you in love as members of the body of Christ, who is the head over all things to the church. This we do, asking the great shepherd, our Lord and Redeemer, that both you and we may have wisdom and grace to be faithful in this covenant and glorify him with the wholeness that becomes his house forever. Amen.